Today's episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co slash PMC. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. I'm excited to announce our upcoming schedule of the Planet Microcap Showcases, our investor conferences showcasing the microcap community. We will be hosting the Planet Microcap Showcase virtual on December 6th through 8th, 2022, and we'll be back in Las Vegas for our in-person event on April 25th through 27th, 2023. Attendance for both events are complimentary for investors, so expect to interact with microcap management teams, hear insightful keynotes and panels, plus network with your fellow microcap crew. Registration is now open for our virtual event, so to join us, please visit www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com. Now for this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I welcomed back Gautam Bade, founder and managing partner at Stellar Wealth Partners, LLC. In our last interaction, we discussed his background, journey to the U.S., his book, The Joys of Compounding, and his stint as portfolio manager at Summit Global Investments. After leaving Summit Global in July last year, where Gautam was a portfolio manager for the last five years, he set out to start his own fund focused on Indian equities. In our discussion, we talk about Gautam's new endeavor at Stellar Wealth Partners, why Indian listed equities only, why U.S. investors looking to get exposure outside the U.S. should consider India, understanding the Indian economy and growth prospects, plus why now is the time to get exposure to Indian equities. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 244 of the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my conversation with Gautam Bade. This episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSets. You can find them at streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G dot co backslash PMC. Stream is an expert interview transcript library that is starting to become an integral part to investors' research process. They have a number of interviews on a wide variety of companies, including TMT, consumers, industrials, real estate, and more. Stream provides over 300 expert interviews per week, and 70% of their experts are found exclusively on Stream. Stream is unlike any other transcript libraries. Stream integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Stream's community of experts and thought leaders partner with Stream to build their professional brands and expand their industry influence. Right now, there are approximately 8,500 plus call transcripts available. For more information, please visit www.com 
streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Atom, thank you so much for joining me again. Great to see you and, and thank you for being here. Thank you, Robert. This should be fun. Absolutely. Look, you've been busy. Uh, you know, we were just talking offline. You know, look, it's been a couple of years since we last talked and, you know, we're all busy. Everything's going on, but you've been been busy. So, uh, you know, last time we chatted, you know, we were talking about your background and, you know, how you got to where you are today, writing the book, of course, The Joys of, of Compounding. Um, but now you're on this whole new path where you're now the managing partner, fund manager at Stellar Wealth Partners India Fund. So catch us up from the last two years. You know, what, what's been going on? So uh, I worked at Summit Global Investments in Salt Lake City for five years as a portfolio manager of global equity strategy. And while tracking the global stock markets as portfolio manager, India as a stock market very clearly stood out to me in terms of the number of high growth opportunities which it offered. So last year in July, I quit my job and I ventured out on getting all the regulatory approvals for set, setting up this fund. And in the last uh, few months, I've been busy meeting investors and raising capital. We'll be going live with the fund next month on 3rd of October, Monday. And uh, it has been a pretty intriguing and, and a very fruitful journey so far. And I'm very excited to bring the India investment opportunity to investors in America because after the crash in the NASDAQ and all the technology stocks in the last 10 months, many investors in America are now realizing that they were just merely the beneficiaries of all this cheap money printing by the Federal Reserve over the last 13 years, which made investors bid the stocks of many unprofitable loss-making technology stocks up. It was, I would say, more of luck than skill. But India is a market where hardcore fundamentals matter. You, people look at balance sheets, profits, cash flows, capital allocation, management quality, size of the opportunity. In India, unless you focus on hardcore fundamentals, the good old investing, as we call it, you won't be able to succeed. And in America, a lot of investors were focusing more on top line and revenue growth without actually understanding the unit economics of the underlying business. So I'm more of a tradi traditional investor. Even in my uh, American uh, stock portfolio, I own shares like Microsoft and Google, all companies with a lot of cash on their balance sheet, very profitable, large run before growth. So that is the kind of companies I like to invest in. But, the, but those kind of profitable cash flow generative businesses growing at a high clip is very limited in America. But in India, you get a lot of such opportunities. In India, you have more than 6,000 listed companies. And so the pool of opportunities is very, very large. And outside the US, in the world today, India is the only market of large scale and size, which offers very high growth to investors as well. And this is uh, also being demonstrated by the activities of the investors in the last few months. Just in the previous month of August, out of uh, the total emerging market inflows of $7.5 billion, India attracted almost 80% of that alone. It's yes. a very tiny percentage of the emerging market index. Uh, very, few people, very few people know that China and Taiwan make up almost 50% of the emerging market index, while India is at a small, tiny percentage. But in spite of having a small allocation in the emerging market basket, India attracted 80% of the overall emerging market flows last month. Why did that happen? It's because of the geopolitical tensions between China and Taiwan. And as investors pull money out of those two nations, so basically out of 50% of the emerging market basket, money is being pulled out to more stable countries with democracies and rule of law like India. 
Absolutely. Okay. So lots of different rabbit holes to go down there right right now. You know, obviously one of my questions was going to be, you know, the India fund, you know, talk to me about that. But what's been in, in starting to market the fund and getting out there and spreading the word, doing interviews like this, what's been some of the feedback that you get from U.S. investors? Like, you know, I'm assuming that they're from Texas. Like, India, like, what's going on there? You know, what, what's, been, what's been some of the, the feedback? The common uh, thing which I notice in most investors in the U.S. is, what is known as a home country bias. So it's also uh, it's also connected with something called familiarity bias. So home country bias and familiarity bias. So once you become familiar and comfortable with investing in your home country, generally most investors are very hesitant to invest outside their jurisdiction to a foreign uh, nation, especially among an emerging market. But when I pitch my fund to investors, I tell them, don't treat this India fund like your core investment. Treat this more for the diversification benefits. So just consider this more for the diversification benefits which you'll get. Just to give you an example, in the last 10 months, the NASDAQ is down on more than 30%, but the Indian benchmark index is up 4%. So a 34% outperformance in just 10 months. Now, again, some people may say this is just a recency bias, but it just tells you the benefits of diversification. Diversification seems not that appealing until it does. And it is during periods of uh, such a turmoil in a particular country that you realize the benefits of international diversification. And that is where this India fund will fit into the picture for most investors. This is the first thing. The second thing which many people ask is, how am I able to evaluate the management quality of companies in India while living and working in the US? And for that, I follow a comprehensive corporate governance checklist, which I take them through when I give them one-on-one -on -one front presentations, there's a long list of checklist items on that corporate governance checklist, which I go through for each company. And that's why out, out of the more than 6,000 listed companies in India, in my view, barely 50 or 60 are just suitable for true long-term investing. So the key to succeed in the Indian market is not to take undue risk. India is not a market to take risk in. You want to basically crush risk from multiple angles in a emerging market. So you want to crush government risk, regulatory risk, political risk, business industry risk, management risk. There are many risks. You want to just crush risk from as many angles as possible to arrive at the final portfolio of very high quality businesses. And, they, and just like the US market, there are very few of them in the Indian market as well. That is the area where the fund manager needs to focus his attention on to create long-term wealth. Because after every bear market, the companies with bad corporate governance, those stocks get hammered completely and they never recover. But the truly high quality businesses always recover back the fastest after right. the market crash. So right. it's not about making paper profit or paper money. It's also about retaining that wealth through the, uh, the future bear markets. Absolutely. I mean, Gautam, I also have to ask, you know, before, you know, we'll get into even some more nitty gritty here. But I mean, was this always a dream for you when you got your career started in finance that, hey, I, I wanted to do something or have a fund that's covering India. Now was the opportunity to really do that. You know, growing up in India from here, having immigrated to the US, you know, love to hear if that was the case. When I came to the US, that time my sole focus, uh, I came to the US in 2015. That time my sole focus was simply to get on the stock market side. I was very passionate about investing. So I wanted to get on the buy side. And you all, many people know about my initial days of struggle here. It took time, but that's how compounding works. Compounding will bestow its magic and benefits upon you only after testing your patience and conviction to the fullest. So, But I never thought I'll land up uh, in the role of a portfolio manager. I thought I'll probably start off as a junior analyst, then graduate to analyst, then senior analyst, then assistant portfolio manager, and then probably portfolio manager in 
12 to 14 years but i straight away landed that that, that kind of a role so god has been very kind and i'm very i'd consider myself very fortunate and uh, i was very happy in that particular job i was tracking global stock markets getting paid to read and learn every day and improve every day but the heart soul and passion always lied lied with india because that is where i created more than 80 to 90% of my personal wealth so i've been investing in the indian stock markets for the last 15 years and and i've done pretty well for myself i achieved financial independence uh, through investing in the indian stock market i mean that is the reason why i could afford to quit such a high paying job as a portfolio manager last year because beyond a certain point uh, of wealth and uh, time in life you basically realize that you just have this one short life to live so why not do something that you're truly passionate about so that is the reason why i decided to set up this india fund very cool and also and uh, listen I, if anybody missed our first interview together please go check it out got some stories really amazing or go read the book the joys of compounding it's really fantastic read and just so many great insights and nuggets that you know you just always want to come back to um so i wanted to get into the fee structure for the fund because when you first, when you go on the website the first thing you see is like Buffett fee structure partnership fund. Like I wanted to do the exact same way, you know, no performance fee. I think it's six, per, if you perform at a, a minimum 6%, then you get the, so tell us a little bit about why uh, you wanted to set up the fund this way, other than the fact that you are a, 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 a Buff, Buffett neophyte, of course. So Robert, trust is earned when actions meet words. And in my book, I've written a chapter, which is called Living Life as per the UNESCO card in which I've talked about the original Buffett partnership fee structure and how Buffett in his partnership years used to demonstrate certain attributes like authenticity, sincerity, integrity, honesty. And it's just not enough for me to talk about these things and preach about these things. It's also important for me to put this into action. And you will rarely find such an equitable fee structure in the hedge fund industry today, like the original Buffett partnership structure. Buffett used to charge zero management fees. And he used to charge a 25% profit share on gains over 6% per annum, subject to a high watermark provision. And even this hurdle rate of 6% was cumulative in nature. So many hedge funds in this country have got a non-cumulative hurdle rate. What does that mean? It means that suppose you start with 100 and suppose your fund and suppose your value goes down to 94 at the end of year one. For most hedge funds in the second year, the hurdle rate is 6% or 94. But in my fund, because I've kept a cumulative hurdle rate, at the end of year two, if my fund value falls to 94 at the end of year one, I need to make 18% in year two just to get back to 106 plus 6%. So it's a cumulative hurdle rate, which is very, very demanding. And it is also subject to a high watermark provision. What does that mean? A high watermark provision means that unless the client's annual year ending value crosses the previous all time high on a closing yearly closing basis, and the client has also earned a 6% return per annum, in dollar terms, till that time, the fund manager, that is me, I don't get paid a single penny. So it, you may have a situation that over the next five years, the fund earns 6% returns per annum, but I end up making zero. Basically, I end up working for all the clients for free. And that's perfectly acceptable with me. In fact, what I've told my initial investors is that if I cannot, if I cannot deliver you even 6% returns in dollar terms for the first five years, then you should actually take out your money and put it elsewhere because why should you waste your time any longer? So. You just don't, and anyways, I don't have any incentive to uh, raise AUM because that is zero management fees, right? So unlike most investment managers who do not have any downside because they're getting paid a hefty management fees, in my case, because uh, I'm being paid only and only on performance and high, great performance. So 
in my case it, it's there is no incentive for me to raise a lot large amount of aum also because i'm putting a significant portion of my personal liquid net worth into this india fund to have skin in the game the clients can see sleep peacefully at night knowing that you know the fund manager gotham is also is going to be very prudent and very conservative because he has got his own money on the line most hedge fund managers don't put a single penny of their own personal capital into their fund they discharge management fees and they become rich but what about the clients if when i was setting up this fund i was constantly asking myself if i was an outside investor what would i love to see in the fund i would love to see a frugal operating cost structure i would love to see zero management fees i would like to see a cumulative hurdle rate i would love to see the fund manager having large skin in the game and and also for the fund manager to be ta- be, be very tax efficient in nature by having a long term horizon so these five attributes i would definitely love, love, love to see plus i would also love to see that the fund like every hedge fund has got a team of service providers i would love to see that all the service providers have had prior extensive experience of dealing with india focus funds and i would also look at the funds auditor because uh, every hedge fund you know i normally has an annual audit and you don't want to skimp on that particular aspect because when you are meeting investors when you talk about your auditor in our case uh, stella wealth partners india funds auditor is paisa jeffries they are the leading name in the hedge fund industry so these small small things if you just take care of these small things then you can go a long way and like i have written in my book as well for me sleeping well is equally important as eating well so i want my clients and myself to sleep peacefully at night and for that i want to focus on delivering a positive emotional return to them as well in addition to the financial return most fund managers will focus only on the financial part but for me what does the delivering a positive emotional return mean it means i should be readily accessible and available for all the limited partners all the time i should be able to handhold them handhold them during future bear markets and market crashes educate them on what's happening on the portfolio's prospects have a zoom uh, webinar with all the clients together or have one on one discussions with them write my semi annual investor letters keep them updated on what's happening this these small small softer attributes will go a long way because money management business at the end of the at the end of the day it's a relationship management business you have to look at each a partner as a long term relationship and 100% Uh, really solidifying that. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I, whether I invest in the fund or not, I just want to make sure that I'm on the mailing list because I have a feeling these quarterly letters are going to be some of the more more well written ones. Most of them are very well written, but I, I'm definitely you know, a published author. I want I want to read yours. Um, so let's talk about the portfolio construction. You know how concentrated, how diversified. Love to hear everything there. so the portfolio will comprise of around 20 to 30 stocks and the logic for this number is uh, so as per a study published in the international best seller a random walk on wall street it was demonstrated that as the number of stocks in a portfolio reaches 25 to 30 names you have captured almost all of the benefits of diversification yet the number of companies you need to know thoroughly is still manageable and this is a very sweet spot for me I'm, i'll be initially starting with uh, 26 names in the portfolio and uh, this is an allocation basically in each stock we'll have we'll start with an initial allocation of 3 to 5% and for the occasional exceptional opportunities we may go up to even 10% on a single name in the very beginning but prudence will always be maintained at all times what do i mean by this this is very important so let me explain this so i will even though we, i will let my winners run but i will not let a single stock become more than 20% of the overall portfolio by value because i do not want a single promoter or management team to determine the out life outcomes for myself or my investors so 
you have to ensure that you're not overly exposed to factor risk even in the very beginning uh, the portfolio is diversified across 13 different 13 different industries one of the key reasons why many hedge funds uh, in us blew up in the last 6 months is because they were overly exposed 100% to one single factor technology but again i like to learn from cases case studies of extreme failure and extreme success i've understood that the key to compounding is time and endurance if i can survive for the next 20 30 years along with my partners we'll all become rich just by the sheer uh, tailwind of india's growth and the power of internal comp- intrinsic compounding in companies so the key is to survive like peter bernstein has very uh, rightly said survival is the only road to riches i want to survive for the long run and for that you have to avoid ruin avoid the risk of ruin and for that avoid factor risk the only single factor risk in our case is basically being exposed to one single country india but india has got a exemplary track record of letting foreign investors enter and exit at will no questions asked i mean in the just to give you a number in the last 10 months foreign investors have withdrawn more than 20 billion dollars net out of india and still the indian market is up 4% this year january to today as opposed to the nasdaq which is down 30% how is that possible it's because of the rise of the domestic investor in india so if you look at what happened in china uh, chinese market is markets as well over the last 20 years a lot of the activity was driven by the domestic investors same thing is happening in india now as the penetration of equities as an asset class keeps going up with uh, rising penetration of smartphones and awareness among the indian public the domestic investor is coming to the fore and the foreign investors are becoming less re- relevant in driving the benchmark indices in india so that is a natural tailwind which we'll enjoy for the next many years absolutely so in terms of the size of the companies that you're looking at you know look i'm we're a microcap show i can I, i'd be remiss if i didn't ask if there was any potential exposure to microcaps amongst the you know initial 26 and you know uh, between the 20 and 30 in the future um do, do you have any constraints on size of companies or can you look at across the board so uh the fund will not have any microcaps in the beginning that there's a reason for the reason for that is the trading volume constraint so even if, like when you go through my website you'll see that i've decided to hard close the fund to new and existing investors at just 50 million of aum so you can clearly make out the reason why it's because uh, this fund will have a lot of exposure to small cap stocks in india and because i've got my own money on the line obviously it aligns my interest with that of my partners to focus on maximizing returns at the same time because my own money is on the line i'll focus on downside risk as well but the small cap stocks in india are pretty ill liquid so uh, that's the reason why i've decided to just keep the fund small and light so that i can keep investing in the high growth smaller companies in india in india the micro cap stocks which are referring to are uh, basically all the companies which are below 5 uh, below 50 million of market cap 50 million usd in market cap those those are the ones we consider micro caps but the trading volumes in those are just negligible that is literally non existent and that's why even though i would love to invest in such companies but uh, given the size of the fund uh, just to give you a number so suppose we hard close the fund at 50 million of aum to establish a 3% position means i have to buy stocks worth 1.5 million micro cap and out of the 50, in india what happens is uh, the insiders the management the owners of the company they have a large insider uh, ownership in the companies they are, the ownership ranges from 60 to 75% in most companies so there's the sim- simple math a 50 million market cap company out of which 75% is held by the insiders so the total free float available is 25% of 50 million which is 12.5 million in total so to 
acquire shares worth 1.5 million out of the 12 and a half million of free float it is going to be a very tall ask tall ask it will take, take a month or more to accumulate that kind of a position 100% yeah I have to go to the small cap stage and above i cannot go to the small cap stage so so how do, so how does india uh, on on the exchange how, how do you guys demarcate cuz cuz in the us like we define micro caps 300 million of five, 50 sorry 50 to 300 million market cap us and then nano cap 50 million or less and then above 300 to what like 2 billion i think it's like small cap and then 2 billion above you know go from there so how, how does how does how does how does it define you kind of went a little bit there uh, so the stock exchange is in, so the stock market regulator in india has actually laid down the criteria for categorizing companies into large cap mid cap and small cap so the first uh, 100 to 100 to 150 companies are categorized as large cap next 150 as mid cap and this and remaining as small cap so that's how they define but they don't have a formal definition for macro cap this is just based on my experience that uh, because the market uh, cap has already also gone up over time so i define micro caps as anything less than uh, 50 million of uh, 50 million usd in market cap so that's a micro cap for me so uh, and those are the stocks which i would i can buy for my personal account but i cannot buy for the fund and here i would like to add a very important point uh, robert that managing a personal portfolio is very very different from managing from managing a public fund why is that because when you are managing a public fund the two most important attributes you have to look at is quality and liquidity liquidity means average traded average traded daily volume so you know a personal account you can actually enter and exit very easily but when you are managing a public fund and that too which becomes larger over time you have to take into consideration the liquidity because you may face some redemption pressure in the future some people may want to redeem and that is the time when the impact cost of selling these micro caps can be very very large so uh, that's why you want to like ideally look for stocks which are having a bit more higher tra- trading volume and it, i think the more the trading volume the more it basically means that the stock has been discovered more the trick is to buy them at a small market cap stage you can still end up making a very large amount of returns because of the long run way for growth absolutely oh yeah i mean that's that's what we preach on here as well as you know you want to find them before the institutions do um that's ultimately the goal but um so i also want to talk about competitive landscape a little bit um you know obviously i'm sure i, I don't know i'm i'm sure there's an etf out there that follows india uh but i mean is there any other us based india focused only funds right now or is this one of the first So there are a handful of them. Uh, Malabar Investments is one. Then there is a few others, but not they are not that much prominent because there are just so few of them on this in this country. And that and that's why I'm very excited to bring this uh, opportunity to the investors here. I believe as India keeps getting getting prominence over the coming decade, you'll see many more India-focused funds getting established in the US because many people are now realizing there is a big need to diversify out of the US into other high-growth markets and. that is where india will come into the picture i mean just look at outside the us what just look at the world what's happening outside the us europe is in a big mess china has become uninvestable taiwan is in the middle of geopolitical tensions japan is facing the problem of aging demographic south africa brazil are having their own set of problems so which is the only single market of skill and size outside the us which can offer you growth and the world is made up of capitalists you know, if you can show growth then money will basically you know come from anywhere in the world so that's why that's why india is attracting so much uh, of the emerging market inflows because now foreign investors are realizing that hey this is a market which is the most stable which has got favorable demographics in fact 65% of india's population is below 35 years of age and here i would like to add a very important point 
we know that the long term drivers of gdp growth in any country are only two estimated change in the working age population and productivity growth and apart from uh, over the next 30 years as per a study published by collaborative research collaborative fund research uh, so apart from nigeria which is a small country and apart from us which will keep benefiting from favorable immigration trends india is the only country of scale and size which will experience a 20% increase in its working age population over the next 30 years but on the other hand you'll have many large economies like south korea russia italy france and uk they'll all experience the same problem which japan has been facing for the last 30 years which is that of an aging population this is where the india long term story gains further credence so one more very big point i would like to point out here so i'm a very avid student of financial market history so history teaches us that whenever any country transitions from 2.5 trillion of gdp to 5 trillion of gdp that country stock market experiences the fastest pace of wealth creation if you look at us japan and china whenever those economies doubled from 2.5 trillion to 5 trillion their stock markets did not just double their stock markets tripled and quadrupled and even more and why did that happen it's because as a nation transitions from a low income per capita country to a middle income per capita country the basic spending on items like food does not go up much but the spending on branded discretionary consumption and financialization of savings these two categories simply explode so this is the exponential opportunity which india offers to investors in the world today linear growth in gdp but exponential opportunities in these two categories and here i would like to add one more very important point that it took india almost 60 years to reach its first trillion dollars of gdp but it took india just 7 years to reach the second trillion dollars of gdp and over the coming decade as trillions of dollars get added to india's gdp if we simply assume the market cap to gdp to approximate one over time also known as the buffett indicator one can just envisage the kind of wealth creation that lies in store for investors and in great indian businesses trillions of dollars we are talking trillions of dollars here right of market cap addition and who will capture the bulk of this upcoming wealth creation boom in the indian stock market the nation's best managed businesses with proven ability to scale up their operations it's known as the power law so as per a study published by professor bidenberg of the university of arizona between 1926 and 2016 over those 90 years in america just 4% of the listed stocks accounted for 100% of the market cap addition same thing will happen in india as well so handful of companies the great businesses will capture the bulk of this upcoming wealth creation boom so this in a nutshell is the big uh, investment thesis for india absolutely But I also want to now let's play devil's advocate, right? You know, you made the thesis abundantly clear, right? In every single way. What are maybe the headwinds, or how does this thesis potentially fail? Well, uh, I, you know, I think the political regimes and the political parties and political regimes in India keep changing, and uh, that is why again. i avoid government facing businesses because what happens during so india goes to a national general election once every 5 years and what happens is that you know you have some cases of some cases of crony capitalism whereas wherein some corporate groups or some companies are basically in close ties with the government so they get to benefit from the favorable government treatment for them but if the political dispensation changes after 5 years then those talks are very vulnerable and this is why i at all points of time i avoid government facing companies and i also check whether the promoter or the management has any political political affiliations so that is the way i avoid that particular risk so you want to avoid that particular risk 
there's one more big risk on the horizon which i would like to share here which is which will impact all stock markets in the world and that's a potential world war 3 situation with china and russia on one side and the developed countries on the other side if china invades taiwan it doesn't it seems like a very remote possibility but uh, with the recent uh, geopolitical developments uh, between china and taiwan i just feel the probability and this is all all about probabilities at the end of the day the probabilities of such an escalation is increasing day by day so that's one risk which will impact all global stock markets not just india so if that happens that no amount then no amount of fundamental analysis will be able to save you everything will fall at fall at the same time but uh, the only defense in my view in a world which is interspersed with black swans and uncertainties is to invest in the world's fastest growing economy which is india and have a portfolio of the best and durable business models of that country and with managements with a, which have a growth dna that's the best way which i feel i can defend myself against future uncertainties that's a, that's my best bet i'm just trying to maximize the odds on my side that's all i can very good all right listen we have to we have to get both sides right you know we want to make sure everyone hears the full picture um all right so when when we're looking at you know the the companies that are in the portfolio do you differentiate or do you have a preference for companies that just sell, you know, whatever it is they're selling goods, products, services specifically in India or do you prefer companies that are more international, maybe have some in India exposure but, you know, or some combination of both? Love to hear your thoughts there. Great question. And uh, again, the preference will always be for domestic facing businesses, businesses which are catering to the Indian consumer. Just look at the size of opportunity here. India has got a population of 1.4 billion people. 20% of the entire world's population is lives in india so just imagine the size of the opportunity which you have for companies which provide aspirational yet affordable products that is the sweet spot aspirational yet affordable and also the luxury uh, and branded good goods companies even those have a long runway for growth because again just to up talking with numbers let me talk some more numbers here the global gdp today is approximately 100 trillion dollars okay and the global population today is around 7 billion uh, people which means you have a global per capita gdp average of 14 and a half thousand dollars per person in the world okay the, what, but what is the per capita gdp of india today per person it's just 2000 dollars now obviously it's a very reasonable expectation that over the next uh, decade or or two india per capita gdp will at least converge to the world average at least so just by sheer convergence to the world average, you have a seven X jump in the uh, per capita. Just that jump from two thousand dollars per capita GDP to the global average of fourteen and a half thousand dollars per capita GDP. Just that catching up will do the job for you over the next twenty years. So that's why you ideally want to focus on domestic-facing businesses, especially given given the increasing global uncertainties. And in case you want to invest in a business in India, which is exporting outside to India and to the world, you want to find companies which are globally the most cost efficient and which are global leaders. You are, even if you invest in a company which is exporting outside India, look for global leadership, especially global cost leadership, because low cost manufacturing and low cost labor is in India's DNA. And that is where we, India has got a distinct advantage. Absolutely. So another another rabbit hole I want to go down is you know the idea of management. You know you're you as you said at the beginning, you know that's a very important part of your of your research process, very important part of any kind of qualitative due diligence no matter what size 
the company is. So let's dive in that, into that a little bit more where you've gotten some of that feedback from U.S. folks or others that you're based in the U.S. How, you know, you, don't you need to have boots on the ground or be in India in order to make sure, you know, you can talk with management at any time. So, you know, let's dive into that a little bit more. How are you mitigating that potential risk? So, uh, so it's a two-part answer. I'll give you the first part first. So first of all, after investing in a particular local market or a local country for more than 15 years, and building a strong network of contacts in that country. Over those 15 years, you develop a very strong sense of which companies are run by fraudulent, fraudulent management teams or bad management teams, and which are the which are considered to be the ethical promoter groups and ethical management teams. So that's the natural advantage which investing over a long period of time gives you. That's the first point. The second and more important point, which I like to emphasize here, is I follow a comprehensive corporate governance checklist when I'm evaluating the management quality of companies in India. So what what are the various items in that checklist? I'll share a few of them with you right now. I check for any uh, frequent changes in auditors. Are there any abnormal auditor fees? Is the auditor fees growing faster than revenue growth? Does the company have a long list of unaudited foreign subsidiaries with it? Does the promoter have any political affiliations or criminal proceedings against him? Has the company been subject to any debarments by the capital market regulator? Has the company been subjected to any enforcement directorate Central Bureau of Investigation or Income Tax Department raids in the past? Is the uh, company taking loans from the management team at an above market interest rate? Also check if the related party transactions are very significant in size. Check whether the company has shared wealth with shareholders in the past through dividends and share buybacks. Check if the promoter is having a similar business as the listed entity in his privately held company because that may lead to a conflict of interest. Also evaluate accounting quality in that, check for volatility in depreciation rate because the depreciation policy can be modified by the management to manipulate earnings. Also check whether the company is writing off expenses against reserves and surpluses on the balance sheet instead of routing it through the income statement, thus inflating profit. Check for the trends in the cash flow from operations to net income ratio because this will show tell you how much of the reported profits are being converted into cash for funding your investment and financing activity. Check for uh, any... Check for what are the views of the reputed investors and uh, the industry experts about this particular company. Check what are the current employees and ex-employees saying about the company on websites like on websites like Glassdoor.com. Check uh, if there is any high contingent liabilities of the company or if there is any off-balance sheet obligation. For example, has the uh, company given a guarantee for the debt of its other listed group entities? So there's a long list of... Uh, things to check uh, when you're evaluating management quality, but these are just a few of them. So, and I think at the end of the day, as investors, there are only two things that we can control our research process, our diligence, basically, and our personal behavior after we have bought the stock. That's the only two things that we can control, right? So our research and our behavior, those are the only two things in our control. And at the end of the day, I should have the personal satisfaction that I did a thorough job. One of the reasons why for launching the fund, uh, in the first business day of October and not before that was because in India, the financial year runs from 1st April to 31st March. In America, we have from 1st January to 31st December, but in India, it's from 1st April to 31st March. And the uh, listed companies in India release their annual reports in July, August, September. So just yesterday, I finished reading the annual report of the 26th and final company in the India Fund portfolio. I wanted to be very, very thorough and complete in my research. I wanted to read the annual reports of uh, my shortlisted holdings because I want to understand the guidance and the outlook and the future plans of the managements, which they share in the annual report. And 
now i have got the satisfaction that i've opened okay i have completed my research thoroughly now i can go ahead and invest the money in these stocks very good you know i have another question for you because uh, you know we're like i said we're in, we're microcaps and there's a lot of um companies that may have listed in canada australia london you know all over the world that are now cross trading in the us whether they go on nasdaq nyc or otc markets you don't see a lot from indian indian companies doing that you know do you have any insight as to why i don't know i don't know the reason why to be honest uh, only a few handful of i think 10 12 large cap companies from india have listed themselves on the nasdaq and the nyc here but uh, the macro cap generally uh, they are pretty content to remain listed on the indian exchanges i think they find enough more than enough demand if they are really good their stocks find enough demand in india itself so i think that's why they don't really venture out until they become of a bigger size got it oh, i i was just curious i didn't know if like there was any particular reason or you know if they're looking for you know i mean yeah i was just curious um all right so i think we're i think we're getting pretty close here so i mean in terms of you know actually participating with you and you know saying hey all right i liked everything that i saw here you know what are the next steps and you know when when's the official launch you know give give us some uh, give us some of the details there so the fund goes live on 3rd of october uh, monday and uh, we are still accepting subscriptions we'll keep us accepting uh, subscriptions until the time uh, the fund does not reach 50 million of aum so Uh, every time a new investor comes in his funds will be deployed on the first business day of the following month so if any investor uh, transfers his money to the funds bank account in october for example then the funds will get deployed on 1st of november or the first business day of november so it's a very simple process flow uh, first i have a intro- introduction call with the uh, investor one on one to understand his attitude to attitude towards short term volatility and his time horizon and then i give them a formal a uh, presentation over zoom for which lasts for one and a half hours i talk about my investment philosophy take them through my investing framework with the help of case studies from the indian market i talk about the fund structure etc and then uh, at the end of the presentation i also share with them a detailed excel spreadsheet in which i start off with the gross indian currency return the local rupee return in india of expected return for the portfolio which is what i'm expecting from that i subtract the expected rupee depreciation because see it's very misleading to for me to talk about uh, foreign currency returns because ultimately for investors in us what matters is the, what matters is the dollar return how much are you making in dollars after the indian currency depreciation so first i subtract the rupee depreciation to arrive at the gross dollar return from that as further subtract the operating costs uh, of the fund the ex- the expected performance allocation of the uh, profit share of the fund manager i also subtract the expected capital gains taxes both long term short term from that to finally arrive at a net number in dollar terms after fees costs expenses and taxes because if i can be more transparent and up and very uh, detailed up front with investors that you know if i want to set the right expectations from the beginning then if that investor joins me after that that is the right investor to want in the fund that is the true uh, class of investors which will truly be there for the long term because they already have the expectations set clearly they know what is what is what to expect for themselves after everything but most people here talk about gross returns and pre fees pre expenses pre taxes returns i mean that is misleading right? that's that's misleading you would, if you establish trust in the very beginning and if you have a, a tendency to under promise and over deliver i think that's the base for a much more fruitful and a happy long term relationship be it a marriage or be it in a business 
Absolutely. So, um, and by the way, I, have to, I mean, how, how's the process been? I mean, it's been the quite an environment to now launch the fund and go out and raise capital. I mean, I, I hope, I, hopefully it's been going well. Going smoothly. I think, uh, but the only thing is I've had to say no to uh, around five to six investors so far in the first two months of market because they were just asking all the wrong questions. For example, one of them were, was asking how much can I expect in the next one year? And the other guy said, uh, I want to invest in this fund because I want to fund my uh, children's college education after two years. I mean, those are not the investors you want into the fund. You ideally want long-term patient capital. I tell them, if unless you have a horizon of more than 10 years, please do not consider this fund because the power of compounding is backloaded and the key to compounding is time. You want to ideally invest for 10 to 15 years and, and optimally much more longer because uh, that is when the true power of compounding really kicks in. You don't, So if you want to invest for the short term, there are other momentum hedge funds which, do, which can do this for you. But if you want good, solid, long-term compounding in a tax-efficient uh, structure with a very, uh, very reasonable and fair uh, fee structure, and you want to participate in the growth of the world's fastest-growing economy, then definitely consider the Stellar Wealth Partners India Fund. I think that's a great place to end it. Gautam, where can people go and find more information on the Stellar Wealth Partners India Fund, as well as to follow you on social media, get in contact with you? So people can contact me on Twitter or LinkedIn. And for more information about the fund, they can visit StellarWealthIndia.com. Gautam, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Good luck with the launch and everything having to do with it. I definitely will be following closely. And I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker-dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast podcast.